for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, to what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. Great. Well, a very good day again to uh, all of our listeners on the television channel. It really, again, is my great delight to take what is our second opportunity to be on television and as a ministry. Uh, my name is Abraham Foss. And the ministry that I lead is called For Your Good Ministries International. Last week when we spoke, uh, we had something of an introduction. I shared a little bit about our ministry, uh, some of the expressions that we have in our ministry as well. Uh, we then gave opportunity for some people to respond, to send us emails. And for those who did respond, we thank you very much. We thank you for the engagement that we've enjoyed the opportunities that we'll be looking to take forward in the very near future. Uh, last week we also spoke about teaching today on what I refer to as the law of first reference. Uh, many theologians uh, teach quite extensively on this. And then there's a thing called the law of first institution. And so I briefly did refer to what that would mean, but today I want to pick up from that and then uh, begin to teach a little bit deeper into it by looking at some scripture that actually consolidates the points initially of the law of first reference. And then a bit later into the series, we'll teach on the law of first institution. I want to lay quite a solid foundation on the law of first reference because anything that we're going to teach going forward is always going to come back to the, the salient and most important point beginning and establishing all things in our lives by applying the law of first reference. And this law of first reference that we're going to refer to today is also referred to as the law of initial first reference. In other words, any other first reference that we may teach from in God's word is always going to come back to this initial law of first reference. This is our starting point in anything and every area of our lives. And so if we're about to get married, about to start a business, about to begin a relationship, uh, about to make any decision in our lives, whatever that decision might be, it is so helpful to understand and to know that we begin every decision by what is called the law of first initial reference. So let's look at what that is today. And then as I said later on, will teach on what's referred to the law of first institution. When I say law, what I mean by that is it's an absolute way of starting something. It's the beginning point without variation, without exception, in anything and everything we may do or make reference to. So let's look at the law of first reference. I'm going to start from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. I suppose it's no surprise that that's where you would find the law of first reference. Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 begins with this reference point. And so we'll read verse 1 and then we're going to go into verse 2. 
when we go into verse 2, we're going to find something that's actually a stark contrast, at least in its representation, of what we find in the law of first reference found in verse 1. And so we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to go into verse 2. And as mentioned, there's going to be a stark contrast, an opposite 180 degree variation from what we find in verse 1. I'm going to speak into that. We're going to find a solution in verse number 3. And then how that unfolds itself in verse 4 and beyond. We're going to look at a New Testament scripture that also no doubt begins when Jesus arrives on the planet with the same law of first reference. So Jesus came to reinstate or bring us back to the starting point or remind us of the starting point of all things that begin in our lives. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, reads as follows. And let's first look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God. So our reference point or our starting point in any area of life. Our children are about to go to school. What's going to be the purpose for their schooling endeavors? Why are they going to school? We go to the Word of God and we find the purpose for that. We set a vision for that by the Word of God. So in any area of our lives, whatever area we're starting in, we go and we begin with the law of first reference. In the beginning, God. So God is our starting point. Why is that? Because God, as we read further through Genesis chapter 1 and into chapter 2, God is the creator of all things. Everything that man is called to be effective in, to fulfill, to be, which is of primary importance, and from be to do, it's always going to find its foundation in the Word of God. And so how we establish our identity, who we are as individuals, who we are in the person of Jesus Christ, our identity is always fixed in the law of first reference, who, we, who are we in the sight of God, and or as New Covenant believers, who are we in the person of Jesus Christ? And so I'm using a couple of examples of the law of first reference. In the beginning, God. Well, who is God? Well, how do we get to know of who God is? What is our reference point to finding out who God is? Now we establish all things on a godly foundation. Well, John chapter 1 verse 1, making reference to the law of first reference, says it this way. In the beginning was the word. Now, the word or scripture refers to a person primarily. The first person it refers to is the person of Jesus Christ. But through Jesus Christ, we find God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So in the beginning was the word. So in any area of our lives, whatever we're doing, establishing our being, our salvation, the atonement package, what that represents, that we are born again, we are delivered, we are set free, we are prospered, we are protected, we are provided for. All of those laws of first reference as to what Jesus attained for us at the cross is found in the Word of God. That's called the atonement package or the swap package. So Jesus took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. In our spirit, man, we are righteous and holy. We have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the knowledge of Christ in our spirit, man. So find out who we truly are. We go to the law of first reference. We search out the identity of Jesus Christ. When we find his identity, 
The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not just in the age to come, of course, there too as well. But in this world, the Bible says we are just as is Jesus. So when we go to the Word of God to find out, well, where are we just as Jesus? We know it's not necessary in our soul or in our physical and even sometimes in our circumstantial, but in our spirit man is our true identity. Because there is the person of Jesus Christ with whom we have become one in spirit. We are fused together as one person together with Jesus Christ. So when we go to the Word of God, we can search at our identity. And in a sense, when we find Jesus, who, who, who have we found? Because we're one in Christ. We found who we are in the person of Christ and one with Jesus Christ. So the law of first reference is that in the beginning, we go to the Word, the Word of God. Of course, John chapter 5 is 39. Jesus talking to the Pharisees who just repeatedly got it wrong. They were doing orientated, performance orientated, religiously inclined orientated. It was all about doing and measuring people from the outside. So Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 39, I can see him almost exhausted. He says to the Pharisees, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life. But these are they that speak of or point to or manifest or show you the person of myself, the person of Jesus Christ. So to be effective in our interpretation of the word of God, Old Testament and New, we need to find pictures, types and shadows of Jesus Christ in the Old. Of course, he fulfilled the law and the prophets then we need to find Jesus in the new covenant and we are born again of the same spirit of Christ. So we find ourselves in Christ to settle our identity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are righteous as he is. Of course, that's in our spirit man. Of course, we can go to the law first reference, find out who we are in our soul, who we are in our physical. There's different applications as to how we interpret God's word by understanding the law first reference. But what's very important for me today, and I want to lay emphasis on this point today, is the stark contrast and what brought about a change to that stark contrast from Genesis 1 verse 1 as we go through to verse 2 and what brought, brought about a profound change in verse 3 to reinstate us back to verse 1. For your good, Ministries International. A ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For your good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. Two, train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Training to church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Training to marriage, family, and parenting. Training to the business sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully, for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully, for unity commands a blessing. For Your Good also establishes Bible colleges. For Your Good Ministries ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms, and on various social media platforms. 
partner with us for All Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at foryourgood.net. So picking up from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3, we find that as we move from verse 1 to verse 2, there's that stark contrast, but then there's an answer or solution in verse 3 that brings us back to the status that we found in verse 1. So in verse 1, let me share it this way. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now we know that there was nothing before God. God was the first. God's not limited to time and space. God precedes all of those things, and we only have a witness of that in our spirit man. A natural man may not understand that very clearly, but in our spirit, we bear witness that God was in the very beginning. So nothing preceded God. There was no matter before God. There was no darkness. There was nothing that was void. Because when God in the beginning was God that he was, Everything was light and perfection and represented the very nature and the very person of God. So that's an important point to understand. Because as we move from verse 1 to verse 2, we see a different matter or a different disposition that represented the status of the earth. So let's go back to verse 1 again. This is an important point that I'm laboring. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But now we go to verse 2, remembering that God was in the beginning and everything God was about or God created in the beginning had no matter before it. God created from nothing, but everything that was created represented his person and was light and vibrancy. But now verse 2 is that stark contrast. For verse 2 says, and now the earth was without form. That's a contrast to verse 1. Now the earth was without form, and the earth was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So that again is a 180 degree contrast to verse 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth, but now we have the earth being without form, and it's void, and there's darkness on the face of the deep. Now theologians have two primary interpretations of what prospectively may have happened in verse 2. I'm going to make reference to both of those, but I'm not going to, not going to conclude an either or an or, because for many that may be quite contentious, and I don't seek to be that. Let me make reference to at least two interpretations that may represent what verse 2 is depicting. But more important than that, I want to get to what was taking place at that time and what could only transpire in verse 3 after we get to the back end of verse 2. So many theologians say that something catastrophic happened in verse 2. So from verse 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. God is light, His perfection, His abundance, His vibrancy. Verse 2 is now that stark contrast so some theologians say something of a catastrophic nature took place there. 
From that, they built substance of what we refer to as dinosaur or fossilized life. And they uh, appear to believe that there's a lot of evidence of fossilized life, of dinosaur life and other matter that goes back into millions of years. So let's say that that may be what transpired in verse 2. Again, it's not concluded as an absolute. You can have your own interpretation of that. But let's say that prospectively that may have been the case. Let's then go to the second interpretation that many theologians have. They believe it might have been when Lucifer, who we know now know as Satan or the devil, was thrown out of heaven and he struck the earth. And they come to that conclusion because they say that the earth being without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep represents the very nature of Satan or the devil and the demonic realm. I suppose that that prospectively may be a truth. But either or, let's go back to, to option interpretation number one. If it were the case that for millions of years we have this dark void situation, the next part of verse 2 is really the emphasis I want to lay because I have an interest in its regard. It says in the back end of verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering or reverberating or vibrating or covering or looking over. The different interpretations make reference to those different ways that the Spirit of God was hovering. It says, and now the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So it looks something like this. The Spirit of God was hovering, reverberating over the face of the waters. But if the situation was in place, let's say for millions of years, we then need to say that the Spirit of God was hovering, at least prospectively, we're going to emphasize the point I seek to make in just a while, but the Spirit of God was hovering, let's say for millions of years, doing nothing about the status quo of the earth. Now that really intrigues me. Here we have the Spirit of God hovering, maybe for millions of years, doing nothing about, seemingly doing nothing about the status of the earth, or unable to do something about the status of the earth. Because now this earth represents that there's contrast to the person of God. There appears to be another dominion or situation or circumstance that's taking place. The Spirit of God is hovering, incapacitated, disabled, I believe, to do anything. Not not able to do, because we have the God of the impossible who can do all things. But yeah, appears to be disabled or unable to do anything about the situation of this dark void situation over the earth. Yeah, we have this hovering taking place. But then there is a stark change when we get to verse 3. Because verse 3 says, And then God said, And at that instance when God spoke, represents God's word or the very word of God that we refer to as the Bible. When God spoke, when we go to the word, when we speak the word, when we have a corresponding action of faith in accordance with the word, the Holy Spirit then went to work. He brought about a conception or a change that took place. Then when we go into verse 4, we say, And God, pardon me, then God said, Let there be light. At that split second in time, the Holy Spirit brought about a conception of God's word. 
He brought a conception and he birthed something that was a stark contrast to verse 2. That's the law of first reference. The power of God's word. When we embrace God's word. When we say yes to God's word. When we establish our life on God's word. The Holy Spirit engages in that process. And he brings about a conception of God's word. In Mark chapter 4. The word of God is referred to as a sperm. That's rather interesting. Because a sperm is, about, is, is that that, br that brings about conception. That brings about the birth of something. So when we bring the seed or the sperm of God's word, we speak it or we do it, we embrace it and use it as our foundation. We are to know that at that point in time and from there onwards, the Holy Spirit has brought about a conception of that word and something is birthed that's going to bring about a change depicted in verse 4. So when God said, let there be light, that talks about the spoken word. We know that Jesus responded to the enemy when he came to him. And tempting, he said, it is written. But that written is also that that we do. So it starts with what's being written. We embrace it by faith. A corresponding action of faith transpires, become doers of the word. And when we do the word of God, the kind of situation we find in verse 4, that's opposite to verse 2, where our lives might be found at this point in time. Perhaps there's someone listening who is saying, my life is in a dark place, it's void, and there's nothing taking place. I want to encourage you to know the Spirit of God is hovering. He's waiting to bring about a change in that circumstance in your life. Maybe a broken marriage, a broken relationship, a failing ministry, a failing business, whatever it might be. It may be dark and void, but I encourage you to know the Spirit of God is hovering, wanting to bring about a change. And how will He bring about that change? When we depart from our old way of doing something, that brought us to the place where things are dark and things are void and we are struggling and maybe even flailing or may I say failing or even having failed in an area. God is a God who can restore, who can resuscitate, who can reconcile, who can bring about a stark change in any and every situation in our lives if or and when we go to the Word of God. So we get into a bad place that represents this voidness in our lives with this darkness and or failure. But how do we bring about that change? There's only one way. Thank God there's one way. The answer is simple, yet it's rather profound and deep. We go back to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 describes the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. What puts the Spirit to work? What is the sword that the Spirit picks up in His hand to go to work on our behalf? It's the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So when we go to the Word of God, the Spirit has a sword it can work with, or the Spirit brings about conception to the Word that brings about a stark contrast of change in any broken area in our lives. We're never out of reach of God restoring our lives. God is the master of restoration. Jesus came to restore our lives. None of us have ever lived, the, lived this life in perfection. There's always been an aspect of restoration that's been required in all of our lives. Of course, we want to learn from that, not to repeat it, that in the future we always go to the Word of God firstly, so we don't make the same mistakes thereafter, so that restoration and reconciliation is required again after a season of failure and or pain and anguish. And so wherever we are, we're about to start something, 
we go to the Word of God. To avert or avoid failure, pain and, pain and anguish, or if we're in pain and anguish or failure, what do we do? How do we get out of that? We go back to the Word of God. So as God said, let there be light. When God spoke, when you embrace the Word of God, there's a light that's going to begin to shine. A revelation that transpires that gives us a different view of how we foundation our lives. So when we go to the Word of God, that's the law of first reference. So either in the beginning, verse 1, where God created everything that was good, we start there, everything will be good in our lives. But if we have some failure or struggle or hardship or pain or anguish, anything that represents a falling apart in our lives, well, how do we get out of that? We go back to the law of first reference. We come back to the Word of God and we re-establish so that from that re-establishing, we can restore and reconcile our lives to the healthy place that God has for us. We go back to the Word of God. Now, what happens when we go back to the Word of God? Well, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. It changes, it disperses the darkness, and it brings light that we can see a future again. We can have a vision again in that area where we were broken and darkness and failure prevailed. So God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So when we go to the Word of God, we gain to have light that's going to dispel darkness and bring about a palpable change in any and or every single area of our lives. That's the power of the Word of God. I want to labor this point that the only way to get change, the only way to have the Holy Spirit engage in our lives to bring about change is we take an initial step of embracing the Word of God. We go to the Word of God in any area where there's struggle. If it's marriage, we go and search out Scripture on marriage. If it's parenting, we search out Scripture on parenting. Say, Lord God, we're going to embrace that. You created marriage. You created family. You created parenthood. We're going to embrace that. And when we embrace the Word of God, it costs a lot that dispels the darkness. Restoration... And reconciliation can take place in any situation of our lives. It says, and God saw the light. In other words, God watches over his word. And as he watches over his word, he sees our faith extended towards his word, bringing light and change either in that beginning season of our life or in a season where change is required because there's been brokenness, hardship and failure. So the Word of God is the law of first reference. When we go to the Word of God, we have, may I call it, the agent that the Holy Spirit brings about conception and change to that brings a light that brings back new vision into any and every single area of our lives. So again, let's look at verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good. The Word of God is good for us only and always good. It's never bad for us. It only has positive intention and positive promise. The Word of God is an absolute that when we walk it in faith, the cast of light, dispel darkness, and bring about a new change of hope, restoration, and reconciliation in our lives. And so as I close, may I emphasize and may I implore the value of the Word of God. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue 
with this series.